Welcome to your Walt Disney World dream vacation. You know, there's a lot to do here. So you're thinking, hmm, what to do first? Your attention, please. Last call for the Walt Disney World Railroad. Now departing for a grand circle tour around the Magic Kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, we are currently holding for further traffic clearance. Uh, here's the deal, this is my family and we are a bunch of landscapers, and more importantly, we're a band. We are mulch, sweat, and shares! Hold on, rock and roller coaster! W-D-W Radio, your information station. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 420 for the week of September 20th, 2015. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience, and I want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcasts every Wednesday, live events, my books, audio tours, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. Plans for Epcot always included a space-themed pavilion, and when Horizons closed in 1999, those original plans became a reality when Mission Space opened in that location. This week, join me for a comprehensive look at the history of the pavilion, as well as a detailed walkthrough of its story, tributes, the attraction, and post-show. So when you hear the words, go for launch, you'll definitely want to hang on. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show for information about upcoming meets of the month, including October's and other special events on the road, as well as lots more and your voicemails. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Welcome to the International Space Training Center. You're here today to train for the greatest adventure in the history of mankind, the exploration of deep space. So when you hear the words, go for launch, you'll definitely want to hang on. Tomorrow's horizons are here today. That line and message was one of my favorite and many others most cherished and missed attractions in Walt Disney World, Horizon an attraction that opened exactly one year after the park's opening date, it really gave us a glimpse into the future from both early visionaries to modern scientists. But for many, early excitement waned and the lines weren't very long, and I think interest and trends in entertainment consumption changed. Sponsors came and went, sinkholes popped up here and there, and ultimately, many attractions like Horizons closed as it did on January 9th, 1999. But our desire to learn more about and explore space never went away. And really, early concepts for Epcot Centered included a space pavilion, so it made sense that after Horizons was demolished, a clean slate was prepared for what was to come. And that new vision was going to take us from the past into the future as together we journey aboard mission space so this week we're going to explore the pavilion and the attraction in depth in a dsi disney scene investigation and joining me again is a man who's often been described as a space cadet he is ryan wilson of the main street gazette how's it going good man how you doing oh really good cool so yeah like i said in the the beginning uh, you know, I think a lot of us, the, the nostalgics and the sentimentals and the romantics, we miss Horizons for a lot of different reasons. But as things change and I think as tastes evolve, you know, like I said, the lines weren't always very long. But I think there's always been this love and this interest and a desire for a space themed pavilion. And we were saying, you know, early concepts for Epcot. Uh, had ideas for a, a number of different types of space pavilions in it. 
it, yeah, it definitely did. And I, and I think you're right. I think Horizons tried to touch, you know, we've talked about before where Horizons was really the encompassing of all the pieces of, of Future World in those early years of Epcot Center. But, you know, that, that space piece, that what's the next Horizon, what's the next exploration was always there. And they did. We had, you know, there were space civilians and this giant space vehicle that would have lived uh, out in, in Future World that would have really rivaled the size of Spaceship Earth. Yeah, it was interesting to sort of look back on some of what that concept art was of, you know, like a, a spacewalk kind of thing and sort of a uh, uh, a colony up in, in space and what the space pavilion might have done. And, and some of that early concept art, like much of the things that unfortunately never get built, is beautiful. Um, and you wonder what may, you know, no good idea ever dies. But, you know, when when Horizons closed... It just made sense to continue in this concept of what uh, a potential space pavilion was going to be and obviously utilizing new technology and obviously a very, very different type of ride system as well. Definitely. I think that the ideas of this exploration that we had in, inherent in, you know, whether it was pre, pre-art for a space pavilion or in Horizons, it took that theme from Horizons that really wasn't found anywhere else in Future World and said, this is where, you know, this is where we need to go. This is where we need to to take th- these next steps and, and cultivated those ideas that were inherent in you know both Horizons and the Space Pavilion that really that really stuck to the the mission of the space theme, no pun intended, <laughs> and and took that next step. Yeah, and and I actually did. I don't even think I called it DSIs back then, and maybe I need to revisit the Pavilion because we did uh, a show on number twelve. We covered uh, a really detailed look at Horizons, and I've had a chance to interview George McGinnis and talk a lot about it. And I think, Ryan, one of the things that differentiated what Disney was doing with Mission Space, and not as opposed to Horizon, but, you know, Horizon sort of had the Jules Verne, H.G. Wells-esque vision, and then sort of a uh, a wide-eyed blue sky vision of what the future might be in terms of space and sea and, and desert farming and exploration. But here, they really wanted to be authentic. I mean, they worked very closely with, you know, real NASA scientists and and astronauts and advisors. And this pavilion, I mean, they developed it over a five-year period with using 650 Imagineers with more than 350,000 hours, which is about 40 combined years, creating this attraction. And that goes to the technology, the history, the, the really sort of future thinking you know in terms of what was the future going to possibly look like they consulted with nasa to say is it possible to have something like this x amount of years in the future absolutely and they used that timeline to kind of set the story for what we would get in mission space and they also went to them and they talked to them about sciences that did exist currently that they were using for you know next generation spacecraft next generation space program ideas and things that they believed were possible and that they could touch upon and use in, and even if it was just a nugget in a in a you know on a screen somewhere that you could use to say yes this is this is real world tangible effects and this is where we're going to see it in another you know 20 30 years and so let's go ahead and, and integrate that into our storytelling, into how we build this attraction so that it does stand up to all the outside lenses. Right. And I like the fact that, you know, they didn't sort of take a Star Trek, Star Wars approach to, oh, you're going to go through hyperdrive and eventually right. be there. Yes, there's hypersleep. But they were looking at things like, you know, aerospike type engines and solid hydrogen fuels and some of the different, like you said, real world technologies that they're just starting to scratch the surface on wondering what the potential of those might be. So you've got this five years of development of the attraction. You've got two years of construction, which is, you know, look, Disneyland, they, I don't still know how they deal. They built Disneyland in a year, and this pavilion takes two years. And they have a soft opening in, in mid-August 2003. And then later on, October 9th uh, that same year, is when the attraction finally opens to the public. And I remember a lot of the excitement uh, back then when this attraction was coming in because it did talk about new ride systems and new technologies and something unlike we had ever seen before. And we could even sort of start from the outside in as you started to see concept art of the exterior. You know, Horizons was a very geometric, hardline-type building. This was very, very different 
you know, as soon as you sort of started walking up to it. It's definitely, it's more fluid. It's more natural. You have those, but you have those kind of, you know, those patterns you see when you watch a rocket launch, those curls and, and those maneuvers that you would recognize that are intrinsic into the design of the pavilion. And I can remember, I can remember when it was being built, wanting to take the monorail through Epcot just to get an, a bird's eye view, just to see what was happening down there. Yeah, and it's so funny because when you start to look at the details that Imagining puts in, we know that everything is about story. Everything is there for a reason. So when you first start to see the the very radical design of the exterior, you wonder why. And then when they say, well, look, the reason why these lines are curved is because it's meant to symbolize flight and orbits. All of a sudden the light bulb goes off and you're like, I get it, right? And you look at the pathways and you wonder what the – and they're orbital pathways and celestial bodies that are sort of embedded into the concrete. We're obviously going to talk about some of the the tributes to Horizons. But actually um, on the outside, they actually left the planter um, from – that was originally part of – um, where the Horizons marquee was from. And it sort of has that similar kind of geometric state. You know, you sort of talked about looking from the top down. Um, they didn't really mm-hmm. touch it very much during construction. I think that was a, a very, very, very subtle tribute to the attraction, which uh, was there beforehand. Definitely. It's almost like that reflection. If you look at the planters, it almost looks like the shape of the Horizons building, but in reflection. So you're coming up almost from the backside to the front. So it's like the shadow of horizons of what was, and now you're stepping into, you know, the the next phase and the new and and the new thing in mission space as you enter planetary plaza. Yeah, and I think I think what I like about this too is you know we talk so much about the pre-show and the attraction and the post-show, and I think this is I think planetary plaza is you know scene one. It, it real the queue really does begin outside because it's very striking in terms of. The, the large spheres that are in front of the building. Obviously, it's Jupiter, Mars, the Earth, and Moon. And there's some really neat things that they did and incorporated and sort of fun trivia facts about that. So, for example, when they were coming up with the design of Mars, they mocked up 100 different shades of red, 100 different colors, in order to decide on what should be the color that's going to dominate this facade, right? What's going to be the color that's the most attractive and reflective yet still maybe similar to what the planet represents? You know, you think that they just sort of, you know, go to Home Depot and pick a color palette and that's <laughs> how they do it. But that's the kind of uh, of minute detail, uh, you know, in terms of the, the, the color choices. So it contrasts and complements the other colors around it. Yeah, and if you get if you get up and close to it, you can see it's it's really iridescent. There's more than one color in there, and it's and they looked at it under you know day conditions, night conditions, you know the, how they were going to light it, so that they that they knew what they were going to see all day long, every day, and how it was going to stand up and how it was going to you know pull you into the center and focus you in on that attraction. And you don't realize how massive these spheres are until you get close. I mean, Jupiter, which is the largest one, is 16 yeah. feet in diameter. But, you know, I try and make, you know, I think so often we're rushing to attractions that we skip all the cool details. I mean, I think that you need to spend a couple of minutes and look, for example, at the model of the moon outside. And and I know I've taken my kids and friends' kids, and you show them the colored markers on there because they obviously have historical importance and significance, right? They all represent the 29 unmanned and manned landing sites achieved by the U.S. and the Soviet Union between 59 and 78. So there's one red marker, that's the Apollo 11 landing, and then the manned missions are in blue and the unmanned missions are in clear and white. And I know the first time I took my kids there, and I need to take them back now that they're older, you know, I wanted them to sort of appreciate when they look up in the sky and they see the real moon, like, you know, we've gone there, like we've stepped foot on this thing and what an amazing, you know, feat this is. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you start to think about it, you know, we haven't done it really in, in most of our children's lifetimes as to, to see the, to see the moon, to, to talk, to talk about that history. And I think the plaza as a whole is one of those areas because it is, there is so much of it in direct sunlight. There is so much of it in that direct Florida heat that people don't take the time, but it's definitely worth the investment of a few minutes, whether you're looking at this, you have the quotes on the walls that are from astronomers and philosophers and astronauts and presidents and poets and Buzz Lightyear that are all along that wall that are telling you the story of, of man's connection to the moon and, how, and our exploration of it. Um, and then you have the paver for the Mars rovers. And there's so much here to explore 
that it, that you need to take that those few minutes. And I know you know we talk a lot about educational opportunities in Walt Disney World. You have been an educator uh, of yeah. children for many years, and I think this is one of those places you don't even need to step foot into the attraction, and you've got a great opportunity to teach kids or maybe yourself, you know, <laughs> about the history of space exploration. It, it, it this I think this this pavilion very much embodies that sort of infotainment concept that we we hear talked about for so many years. I, I definitely agree. I think it's, you know, and it is, like you said, you don't have to walk inside. There's all this history. There's all these presences out just outside this pavilion. And especially being in Central Florida, being so close to the Space Coast. You know, when I was a child growing up, you know, near Tampa, the space program was, was this huge thing to me. And this is like one of those baby steps. This is one of those introductory kind of experiences to get people more interested. And what I think is neat, too, is... It's a great, and we'll talk, you know, we'll see in the queue about sort of, again, more of the educational opportunities and, and real-world science and real-world American history and, and current and potential future history. But it's also a great combination of fact and fiction, right? Because there's a yeah. backstory. Like, once you get into that exterior part of the queue, instantaneously, when you start seeing those quotes, you are starting to be transformed. They go through this sort of portal uh, that you don't even realize, and all of a sudden you are not only immersed in a story, but like when you walk into Main Street USA and you go back in time, here when you walk through, you go forward in time, right? Now all of a sudden it's not 2015, it's 2036, right? A very significant year. It's 75 years after Yuri Gagarin became the first man in space. So they pick dates, again, that are important. It's a, it's a frame of reference for your kids, and it's about really... This thing that now in 2015 we're starting to talk about in real life, you know, colonization of Mars and an international right. space training center that's going to prepare us for that journey that we or our kids or our grandkids are going to be able to do aboard this deep space shuttle, again, propelled by some of those technologies that we're working on. So it's a very seamless transition from history and current technology into future, you know, Fact slash fiction, and, and you're and now you're occupying this role. You are a trainee. You've come into the ISTC to learn, basically, to learn your craft and to and be prepared for this next step. You know, as you see, you know the the history of things as it unfolds in this pavilion. You, you know, there's already one deep space mission out there for the X two, and now you're training to actually be the colonizing crew, the people who are actually going to land and make this next colony on Mars. And that's the thing that's cool. We'll, we'll talk about the, the queue and, and the attraction, but, you know, this idea that you're in a training facility and for all of us little kids that watched the movie Space Camp and wanted to go to Space Camp and become <laughs> astronauts, like, this is like, oh, this is probably what it's really like. And I've seen my kids sort of the first time they went on, their eyes kind of widen like, wow, I wonder, is this really like what the astronauts go through? So I think that uh, it, it's a very much of an attractor for both uh, adults and kids. And you, you sort of you've talked about... The, the fact that it's a, a training mission, I think we should have to take a second because even before you go in, you have a choice to make in terms of how you want your training to be. Now, when the attraction first opened, there was no choice. Now you can choose less intense, green team, or more intense, orange team. And depending on which you choose, you're giving uh, sort of the appropriately colored ticket. Um, notice, and if you notice, if you look at the tickets too, one of them says caution, one says warning. Like, we're just letting yeah. you know more intense is more intense. And when the attraction first opened, more intense was the only intensity level that was available. But I think, I mean, they started to make changes and uh, and understanding that some guests were having some motion sensitivity issues. Uh, they included um, uh, an accessory inside your space capsule <laughs> should you, have, should you uh, need it. And, and I think they realized pretty quickly based on how people were reacting that not everybody's not just able to tolerate it, but wanted to have that type of intensity. So I think in early 2006, uh, I, I think is when they introduced the less intense green training. Yeah, it came out in May of 2006, um, which even that is surprising it took that long. It took, it's surprising that they didn't have the air sick bags when they started, you would think, <laughs> you know, because everyone did want to experience this attraction. And so it's a matter of, you know, everyone dreams about tomorrow and where we're going to be. And so it's a matter of making it accessible to as many guests as possible. 
Yeah, and it's a smart move. Um, yes. I, you know, for those guests that are, you know, questioning, hey, is this something really? I mean, first of all, you can you can see what the uh, the vehicles look like from the outside. It's something that Disney started doing a number of years ago, and is very, very smart. Uh, don't make a guest wait in line, get up to the loading area, and then go, whoa, wait a second, this is really not going to be for me, or I'm not going to be comfortable in here. The fact that they have the, the vehicles out there like they do at Everest and other, uh, another, a bunch of other locations as well, uh, I think is... Um, is a smart move and is a is a comforting thing for a lot of people that may be questioning whether or not they should ride. That's absolutely true. You know, my dad is one of the reasons I have this big love of Disney and space program both, but he's never been on Mission Space. He's very claustrophobic. And I've gone and I've shown him this ride vehicle and he's like, yeah, I'm not getting in that. And I'm like, right. And so for all these years, you know, he's just lived vicariously through my stories of it. But it, it is and it's very smart so that he has that option rather than get up there and then go at the last minute go, nope, you know what? I'm going that way. So yeah. Yeah, because, look, I understand sometimes, you know, you want to know what you're getting into before you go in, right? Tower of Terror is a great example because you can look up and go, you know what? Ah, Maybe not for me. I'm going to sit this one. I'm going to sit this one out. You don't really get a chance to see that on Mission Space. You see the vehicles, but you don't sort of understand this idea of the centrifuge and the spinning individual vehicles themselves. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons that now not only do you have the two the two options, but you also have cast members out there and you have more than just one cast member standing there so that they have time to to interact with guests and explain what they're getting into a little bit more in depth so that they have that kind of everyone has that threshold in their mind of where they know they can go. And this helps them decide for themselves. Right. And this and obviously this is an attraction that has a height requirement. It's 44 inches high to ride. So I'm hoping that in the next couple of years, I'll actually be able to ride Mission Space for the first (laughs) time. Um, But it's and and I think Disney makes accommodations. There's a lot of benches and stuff outside because they know that this may be more, you know, like a a Tower of Terror or Space Mountain is one that there's a good chance that some family members or or, uh, parties in the group might want to sit out. Um, and if you are going to go, I mean, you could split, you know, your group can split up, you know, they're going to separate the, the mild and, and the more intense group, right. um, because they do sort of work in, in, um, in sort of different launch bays for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and you always have that choice and you can, you, and they have the single rider line so that you have people can fill in the gaps where it need be. But th- there's a lot of, there are a lot of smart decisions that, that have gone on since that, since Mission Space is open to make sure that it is accessible to everyone. And, you know, Ryan, with the uh, changes and the, the modifications and the improvements uh, to things like FastPass, you know, it, it's making it so much easier for guests to skip the lines and just walk right through. And I will tell you that there is a few attractions in Walt Disney World. I think Expedition Everest is a great example where I think that at least once you should go through the queue. You should take some of the time and go through the queue. And I think that Mission Space is another example. And people are like, Lou Mangiello, what are you, crazy? I just want to get to as many attractions as you can. But I think there's some really neat details in there. And I remember the first time I walked in, and you're very much like me. We stop and we look and we take thousands of pictures. But I dig, you know, again, the, the real world current and historical artifacts that are in there, right? So you see this giant rotating artificial gravity room. And I love hearing, you know, my kids go, well, why is that? Why are they doing that? Why is it sort of this hub and spoke? And why is it it's spinning? And I say, I don't know. And I look it up on Google on my phone and then I explain <laughs> it to them. But they see, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, this is how you live in space. This, And then look, kids, look right in the center there. Do you see the Horizons logo? And they're like, what? wait, wait for it to come around. It's upside down right now. It'll get there. <laughs> But no, you're right. This is one of those attractions that I that I you know when I go in, I'm I'm upset when there's a short line because I want to take time, and then I end up doing things like backing myself away, letting people pass so that I can read all the pieces and look at stuff, and and it infuriates people who are trying to get on their attraction with me. But th- there is there's so much you can see the gravity wheel, and you can see that the you know there are rooms set up for different activities, so that that's how they would they would live and they would move and and have some semblance of of this you know artificial gravity that would be created. And then you turn and there's this replica of a lunar rover up above your head just sitting there, you know, like it's ready to race off at any moment. And, and what I dig about that is, you know, that well, that is a real lunar rover, right? It's on loan yeah. from the Smithsonian. And according to Imagineering, it's the only lunar rover that is currently not on the moon. Like, you know, if you want to see a lunar rover, you go to Epcot or you go to the moon. 
it's slightly cheaper to go to Epcot, <laughs> depending on what those ticket are, that you Those get. are your options at this point. <laughs> but and no. there are very few seats available to the moon right now. Yeah. So Well, we'll see. Richard Branson and, and you know Elon Musk are going to change that. We're all going to be going. I said right now. I said right now. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, when I see something like that and I tell my kids, like, that lunar rover is as old as I am. And that's when they go, wow, man, that thing is old. But <laughs> And they see, you know, when our kids think about space travel they think about star trek or millennium falcon but when you see that very long you know uh model of a a rocket and on the end is what would be that rotating living quarter section you're like yeah if we were to go to space now this is what it would probably be like this is what we think it needs to be like right now so I, i really like giving them a little bit of the history and and sort of seeing that wide-eyed idea. And look, like I said, as a kid who always, you know, I think in between wanting to be like a priest and a fireman, there was an astronaut, you know, phase uh, in my childhood. So this, I know, is as close as I'm going to get. Yeah, this is, yeah, and I think that's for, for me as well. You know, I've always threatened my wife that if they ever open up, you know, a, a trip to go, I'm going. And and the the looks I get are a little bit incredulous anymore these days. But um, but it is. I think that for for in possibly my lifetime, at least in my ability to to make that kind of a travel lifetime, this is as close as I'm going to get. And so I I cherish these moments. And on the left side of the queue, you know, this, like I said, is where it sort of completes that transition from history to fictional storytelling, right? Because you see those plaques continuing, sort of marking different milestones in history. It starts back with Yuri in 61, and it ends in 2036, present day, with the crew of Bobby O'Brien and Sumi Yamamoto and Frank Rodriguez. That, like you said, is is the crew that's out there already. And I will tell you, one of my favorite things, and like you, this is where I need to stop and take pictures and let people walk by. I love that command area, right? Because that's yeah. sort of what we see on TV. But, man, the thing I dig most about that, and, you know, this is where, like you said, we get the funny looks from people. I'm like, wait, wait for the bird. They're like, what? I'm like, you see that itty-bitty, teeny, teeny, <laughs> tiny monitor over there? Look for the, the silly bird, like, falling down on the runway because that come, that's a, a, a tribute to Flight to the Moon and Mission to Mars, very much the precursor for Mission Space. Right, and, and it's one of those great little details in there, you know, for – for me, it's still back on the timeline where you had the first family in space. That's the Wilsons. Um, <laughs> I feel a connection there. Um, and don't even get me started on trying to explain Skylab to young visitors. <laughs> Skylab. <laughs> but it's in there. But you're right. There's always, you know, this is that next step in evolution. And, I, and even while I was going back and looking at all the stuff for the space pavilion and you think back, it is. It's mission to, to the moon, mission to Mars. And then this is that next step. And it's a much bolder step, but it's more realistic step for us. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's neat how it goes from being somewhat of a museum in the queue to a the the real working, you know, launch control center for the 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 mission that we are about to uh, to undertake. Yeah, and you you start seeing all these these small monitors and all these giant boards full of switches and lights and it starts to become a little bit more real as to all the things that have to line up for any of these missions to have success. And I'm going to tell you, man, I, I am not uh, too embarrassed to admit that the first time I rode this, maybe the first few times I rode this, I was like giddy as a schoolgirl, not because I have this bromance with Gary Sinise, but when you get into that first briefing room, you know, like this is what, you know, space camp was going to be like. Like you yeah. were really sort of buying into the idea that you are getting ready to undertake what potentially is a, a real sort of training simulator that astronauts are are, uh, are undergoing right now and and as you and as you're in there it kind of you know the the like the only thing i can really liken it to is it's it's almost like a locker room right you have all of these cat these individual cabinets for the individual space suits that are in there with the different roles and it it almost looks like you're like going to open these you know these metal mesh lockers up and start putting on your uniform putting on your space suit to get ready to launch and uh, and because i'm such a nerd do you ever ride and, you know, they go through, you know, commander, pilot, navigator, engineer. And I'm like, oh, man, I want to be the engineer this time. Like, let's switch places. You know, not that it matters in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, I think I'm fighting with my son sometimes. 
<laughs> I've, I've done that to more than one person. And actually, uh, you know, because I go with people who sometimes don't really quite understand, I tend to just line myself up appropriately so they don't realize what I've done to them rather than switch. But I, I make sure I'm, I know that I'm in the right spot for where I want to be. Yeah, my son will go, oh, I want to be the pilot. Okay, if you want to be the pilot, I guess I'll be the commander. Oh, no, 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 I want to be the pilot. I want to be the commander. Like, no, you said pilot. I'm going to be the commander, you know. And then and there's always that one person you're with who's grumpy because they're the engineer, and they're like, great, I got the low-level job. What happened here? Yeah, like, mommy, what does an engineer do? Listen, engineers are very, very important. Yes. You need to hit the button. Just don't forget to hit you're, the button. Just pay attention to the, yeah. You pay attention. When it lights up, hit the button. And do you uh, did you notice in the safety video – do you notice the uh, the person that pulls the restraints down, the woman who pulls the restraints down, is also in the safety video from Test Track? Oh, I hadn't caught that. Nope. Learn something new. Ever see that? Drop the mic and walk off stage. There you go. All right, so let's let's talk about the actual um, attraction itself. And you know, when you walk up to those vehicles and and you know you see that that um, that the sort of the whole front of the console is going to you know enclose you. I think that's where a lot of people sometimes. Um, have some concerns about being sort of an enclosed space, but they do some really subtle things in terms not just of lighting, but they blow um, they blow fresh air in there. And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that there's um, especially in the the more intense that there's a hint of peppermint because supposedly it helps with motion sickness. Yes, yeah, yeah there is, and, and, it, and it definitely you know. And it's also the way they they set the monitors up, so it's not like you're looking straight at a screen. It's a window to a mirror to a screen to you, so that it's so that it's it's not quite. It looks a little bit more realistic to your to your eyes, so that it, it keeps that depth perception, that distance there, so that you're not quite realizing what's actually happening physically to your body. And I challenge you, Ryan P. Wilson Matua, and you, the listener, to sit down. And once the when the console closes and you're strapped in and the restraints are down, not to stop, start flicking switches and pressing buttons and grabbing the joystick because you never gonna happen. <laughs> like I love that man. Like I, I love that part about it. You know, like you know that they don't do anything, but you're just having fun, like reading them and wondering what they would do and looking at the little maps again. It's those little attention to detail and the fact that we're still a, a tactile people we want to touch things we want to play with the buttons and, and switches and knobs yeah and, and i and i and i'm guilty of, of going in there with my you know my little camera trying to get pictures of some of these to try to figure out like okay like in a real in a real program what would that actually be used for and you know, it because you do you want to know what it's going to do you want to flick the little switch because it has that it has that resistance so you feel like it actually is doing something when you know it's probably a little metal plate on the other side that just makes the clicky noise for you <laughs> but it's but it feels real in that moment especially when the dim lights are on and it's and it's you're encapsulated you have your you know belt and you're you're locked in and it's like yep okay I'm I'm really launching somewhere <laughs> well and that's the thing that this attraction does and I remember the first time I wrote it like I think I was not expecting the level of intensity of the liftoff and when you go through that slingshot around the moon like you feel the g-forces like it's the g-force is like 2.5 right mm-hmm. so that's imagine that the force is two and a half times that of gravity on the surface of the earth. So you feel it, like you feel it pressing against your chest. And, and again, for me, like that is, is that, that, that little bit of physical pressure is very exciting because you don't necessarily get that on, you know, the TTA, like it's an, it's another right. level of intensity um, that I think makes this uh, a lot of fun. It's one of those things that actually to, to even really understand how great that force is and to understand it, you almost have to do the attraction twice and you need to do it once on the intense level, and then once on once on orange, and then once on green, so that you understand that pushing that button when you're having a, when you're in the two and a half G's and the stress you actually put your your arm through to actually get there and push the button. There's a fair amount of resistance. Whereas when you're when you're doing less intense version, you can just easily just you know reach your hand out and pop the button. So it's almost worth that experience, you know, doing it that way, so you get that 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 differentiating experience. Yeah, it's and it's and I think it's unlike anything you can feel on any other attraction in Walt Disney World, you know, because, again, of the uniqueness of this multi-arm centrifuge, right, that has these 10 training modules on it. So on the more intense side, the centrifuge spins, right? That gives you that sense of weightlessness and gravity and the force, whereas on the less intense, they use motion-similar effects that are also used on the more intense side, 
but the centrifuge doesn't spin. So that, I think, is where they found that some of the, the discomfort issues were, were coming from. Um, but I think you're right. I think trying to experience it, if you can, both ways. I mean, my kids do more intense training. You know, they got sort of the, the courage up after seeing how easy it was on the green side. They say, oh, yeah, all right, let's try it and see. And then you find one that, that you're just more comfortable. Look, I wouldn't tell you to go do more intense training right after you had electric umbrella and a Starbucks oh, and do no. it six yeah. times in a row. Probably not the best idea on the planet or other planet. Um, <laughs> but you know what, too? When you walk in there and you see that and you realize that there are, you know, all these different bays, this uh, – you know, from a from a guest capacity, I think it's fifteen, sixteen hundred guests per hour. Like, yeah, they move a lot of people through this attraction. Yeah, I mean, you consider it's, it's a little less than four minutes when you're actually in the, the you know, you're actually in your little launch launch pod. You're getting ten people, and you know, you're getting forty people in there per ride, four bays per you know at a time. So yeah, you have you have a quite a bit of capacity there, and and it's one of the things that keeps the line down. Which is, you know, to our chagrin when we can't stop and look at all the cool stuff in the queue. <laughs> so I, I think we need to talk about um, the the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and mm-hmm. that's your Capcom, Lieutenant Dan Taylor, also known as <laughs> Gary Sinise. Um, I love Gary Sinise, man. I know, you know, so he's, maybe he's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, I loved him in the stand. I loved him as Lieutenant yeah. Dan. Uh, he's your Capcom during the pre-show, and I think he... You know, he he adds a really neat element to the uh, to the attraction itself. Obviously, of course, you know, as as every Disney attraction goes, you launch, you go around the moon, you go to hypersleep, and then something goes horribly wrong, and you are forced to wake up as you're getting ready for your descent and landing on the Martian surface. Yeah, and I think there is something though that with Gary Sinise there, and he's constantly walking you through this the the experience. But you know, you, you we all recognize him from Apollo. 13 and he did a movie called Mission to Mars. So he has that authority kind of on the subject that you're like, right, I'm totally I'm totally in capable hands. He's not just an actor. He he's been there. He knows <laughs> whether that's whether that's what you should be thinking is not. But right, he you get your slingshot around the moon and you go to sleep and you wake up because you, there's debris in your way and you have to figure out how to navigate yourself down to Mars. <laughs> No, I see. I know he was in all the space movies, but every time I, I hear it, I'm like, but you ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dan. Like, that's what's going through. <laughs> you got new legs, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> um, and, you know, the I think for a lot of attractions, there's that one sort of takeaway line, the line that you always remember. And it's that, you know, don't move a muscle. Now, my the only thing, my only question is, look. Mars is still a pretty big place. You've got all these places to put a landing strip. Why do you put it right at the right end of this giant chasm? Right. right. <laughs> like, like, did you did you did anyone look at this map of the uh, topography and go, oh, you know what? This some of that's going to be frozen and melt at some point. <laughs> like, mm, is yeah, real estate it, that it, expensive on Mars? Like, that's the only place you could find. <laughs> it also has that feel like now with the. You know, Star Tours Adventure continues. I always feel the same way when I'm on Hoth. It's like, did you guys go to Mission Space and just go, oh, that was fun there. Let's put it over here, too. Because I have the similar feelings when I'm on both parts. But I love, you know, the the more times you ride it, too. And again, you want to play all the different, the different roles in the cockpit. Although, and look, it's that sense of interactivity. You know, I think, yeah. I think Mission Space... Uh, continues something that Horizons really started, this ongoing and evolving trend towards interactivity in attractions. We love Horizons not just because of the, the smell of the orange groves, because at the end, we could help choose and direct how that story was going to go. When you ch- when you pressed one of those three buttons in your vehicle, right. you you had some sort of, of say in how it went. Here, obviously, the story, it's always going to end well, whether you press your buttons or not. But the sense that it is a much more interactive type experience, I think that's what we as consumers, especially the the, the, the next generation, we don't necessarily just want passive experiences. We want things that are, are going to push the limits and more importantly, let us feel or actively participate in the, the the story itself. You're absolutely right, and I, I've been on the attraction where there was another couple with us 
um, that wasn't in our party. It was just that they ended up – it was my wife and I and, and this other couple. And they really weren't paying attention throughout the entire experience. And all of a sudden the ride gets going and it's telling this, this woman to push this button and she starts freaking out because she's like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And she's screaming at her boyfriend. He doesn't know anything. And I'm just like, it's, it's Disney. It's a ride. And then the computer override comes in and, and automatically engages it for her, but she she panicked, and it kind of gives you that sense of right. This this does have that real world <laughs> real world feel to it. You have that interactivity, and she has an experience she's never going to forget because she forgot to pay attention in the pre flight video. Right, and, and I remember riding with my daughter once, and she's like pulling on my leg and my arm. She's like, "Daddy, Daddy, I didn't hear what he said. What am I supposed to do? I, I don't know what to do." I'm like, and I'm like, "Don't worry." She's like, "No, don't tell me not to worry." We're gonna, and I'm like, you know, and you love and you, we sort of laugh at that childlike innocence that I wish yeah. would just stay till she's like 45 and finally allowed to start dating, possibly. Um, but it is that thing because you know, again, these these attractions are made not just for the adults and, and the nostalgics, but for the kids as well. And when you hear that uh, that innocent I- enjoyment and, you know, I say innocent fear, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. she, that they buy into what that experience is. Like, you know, if I was the person that designed the attraction, I'd be like, yes, that's what you want. You want that's what to, I want. Yep. Yeah. 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 You have that. You get that. That real world adrenaline rush. You have that real. You know that there's a tangible sense of urgency to what you're doing. And yeah, you've completely bought in. You forget that you're sitting in a, in a centrifuge in Epcot. You're literally launching yourself to Mars, and and you for those few moments, those four minutes, it, that is your world. Yeah, and you know another trend that I think this pavilion as a whole is starting to follow is one that we see elsewhere uh, in the parks, especially in Epcot. You know, I think of, of Spaceship Earth. There is no, you know. The joke has always been you exit out into a gift shop, and eventually you will. Don't worry. You'll get there. But in between the attraction is sort of that third act of the play where now you've seen the pre-show, you've experienced the actual attraction, and now in this post-show area, you go into an advanced training lab, and now if you want, that adventure can continue. And I think the smartest thing they did was they made sections and areas for different yep. interests, different intensity levels, and different ages. Like, the fact that in that little space-based thing, uh, it made me think of those, what were those things when you, um, not that I ever had one, but it, like, I remember in the 70s and 80s, if you bought a gerbil, there were the yellow tubes and the kids. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. What were they called? The the habit, uh, habit, habit, habit trails. They were habit trails. Habit trails, right? yes. So, you know, you put your kid in the habit trail and let them run around and, and expend some energy, and mom and dad can sit down in an air-conditioned environment. But you can also do, you know, postcards from space. Like I love, obviously, maybe in 2015, it doesn't have the the appeal that doing the attraction open because it's all on your phone. But, you know, you make these little videos or photos. You can email them back to people at home. But I like the the Expedition Mars and the space race, right? So Expedition Mars, you sort of do this um, computer simulation where you're searching for lost astronauts. But Mission Space sort of the on the takes up the entire right side, lets you become a, a part of a team and coordinating with cast members and different players, you get to uh, sort of partake in this outer space type adventures as, as though your simulation and your training was still going on. Right. There are pieces of this where you're still Capcom now. Like now you're working on this side of things and you're helping a mission and you're you have different roles and you have, you know, that's an incredible, you know, it's just incredible experiences entirely in that post-show queue. You know, you think about the the three-year-old who's never going to, you know, not going to be the height requirement for a couple of years while their siblings are on there having their mission. You know, there there are pods in the in that space base that are, that look like control panels for, you know, a, another spacecraft. So that, that three-year-old is essentially getting their flight experience as well. And it's just for whatever piece you want. And, the, and Mission Space is one of those pavilions that, because there's such a quality of experiences throughout the pavilion, you can really add on some time and really explore and get in depth and really immerse yourself much, much more. And the cool thing about the the space race thing is in the attraction, when you're pressing the buttons and the knobs, nothing happens, right? You're not going to change the course of your space vehicle. We're on the mission space 
race yeah. game, you really are, right? You're you're sort of on this space station orbiting Earth, and and you're competing to um, kind of reach the space station and do all different kind of fixes. And you, yes, you can either win or lose as an individual and as a team. And do you remember when it first opened? And, and I went looking, and unfortunately, it's not there. When it first opened, you were actually able to play not just against the other team that was physically there, but you were able to play versus people who could sit at their computer online. They had a mission Mm -hmm. space race online aspect to it, and that really sort of added not just a a neat element in the sense that even if you weren't at the parks, you can sort of be participating with people who are there, but I think it added a little bit of, of unpredictability to it as well. I think it definitely did because it was you know the, it made it a much larger scope of the project, a much larger scope of of the game. And you know now with internet speeds as fast as they are, you know those home teams are would have been just as dangerous as you would have been sitting there in the room and taking part in the experience. And it reminds me a lot of you know I did I did space camp when I was in high school as a part of a um, a science class that I was involved in, and it has that very real world feel that you get the same thing as as if you were at, at Kennedy Space Center. Um, it, it's just as on point. It's just as it's just as exciting, and you do you get immersed in your team and like you know and pushing people to win and making sure that you're doing the exact right task at the exact right moment. So wait a minute, I have to stop for a second. You went to stay space. Oh, I knew that was coming back. I knew that was. Oh, start the geeks early. Um, no, I actually I had a science class in in high school. I was in a um, an, an astronomy class, and we actually got to go and visit NASA at the team of. There were, I think, 12 kids in the class, and we went to go, and um, you know, none of it was comfortable because it's all made for younger kids, but we also got a little bit more of – to get behind the scenes a little bit more than, than they typically let the other kids. So it was yeah, – that was you know, an experience. I, um, I so wanted to go to space <laughs> camp, um, not because I was always interested, and I remember as a kid going to the Kennedy Space Center um, with my parents on our, our frequent trips down to Walt Disney World – also because I had a crush on Kate Capshaw and Leah Thompson <laughs> and Kelly Preston. And they weren't there when I was there. I tried no? to you – know, oh. And they wouldn't let us anywhere near the spaceships, <laughs> space shuttles. I don't know why. There was, a, there was actually a lot of famous people in that movie, right? Yeah, Tate Donovan were. was it? Joaquin Phoenix? Tom, yeah. John Locke, better known as Terry O'Quinn, was in right. there too. I have to watch that movie again. I was say, it, it, you know, it's one of those movies you go back and look at you're like, wait – <laughs> you forget you forget how much just you know fun it is to watch that you you, go back, you have to go back and watch it yeah I, you know I'm, I I'm a, I don't want to be disappointed by seeing it now so <laughs> it's not like it's the it's one of those movies that I think does stand up I mean it's it, it to, to time I think I haven't seen it in a couple of years either so I probably need to re rewatch it but like uh like Kate Capshaw and Kelly Preston themselves and Leah Thompson Space Camp also stands the test you know what like a fine wine they all get better with age now it's getting a little creepy. All right, let's um, back to the post show. Back to the post show. So you do eventually go into the shop. You go into the Mission Space Cargo Bay Gear and Supply Store. Uh, what I like about this is, you know, oftentimes, especially now as locals and my kids, you go on an attraction and you kind of quickly go through the the the, the post show and the and the shop. Um, because you've seen it so many times, but Mission Space is one of the pavilions where there is some merchandise, and I like this about it, that you can only get there. And again, you know, you you come off the attraction, and especially I, I saw it in my son, they start getting this somewhat of an interest in space exploration, and they start looking at the books, they start looking at the space shuttle toys, and you know, I, I like that about what it is. It's not only just, you know, T-shirts and, and outer space cotton candy but there are some educational toys and stuff in there as well yeah you have the toys you have the books that actually give you a little bit you know it, it furthers your story it explains a little bit more it gives you a much more fleshed out a vision of of what space exploration has been and will be and, and it is you're right it's, there's so many pieces to look at there that it, 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 it is one of the more unique shops you go through in terms of what you can get, although the, the, the space ice cream is not, you know, horrible. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I think every time I go, my kids want to try another space-themed food product. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, sure, you don't want to go to, like, World Showcase and just go to Mexico <laughs> instead. But, you know, I, I like the uh, – I like the, do you remember when they used to have um, 
the 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 Mickey and was it was it Goofy who was out there like in their futuristic Aaron Gray Buck Rogers spacesuits mm-hmm. uh, yeah. doing some meet and greets outside there. Yeah, it was. And it didn't last as long as it should. You would have thought that's a that's a key area for that. Like you know, it's this is this is future world. This is space exploration. Let's keep this going. And it didn't last nearly as long as it should have. And I haven't been on in a while. Um, so is the um, I, there was another Horizons logo in the mm-hmm. in the by the at, cash register? I would say at the, right below the cash register is a blue background, and then the way the lines and everything intersect, it looks like the Horizons logo. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to do so. That actually that that'll beg the question. So her, uh, is I just called it Horizons. Is Mission Space for you a must do, an occasional do? You you've done it once. Like how does it sort of rank for you in terms of repeatability factor? It had a, I think it had a higher repeatability factor because there are so many different experiences you can have within a singular attraction. Um, it's not necessarily something I do every trip. Um, you know, like I said, you know, my father's claustrophobic, so when he comes, it's definitely a, a no-go. And my wife doesn't have a very much a fondness for, for being in there. And even if she's not being spun, spun around in circles, she still feels like she's being spun around in circles. So um, for me, it's, it's typically, you know, an, an every other trip kind of a thing. But I always... I always find a way to stop by the pavilion and, and kind of check out the planetary plaza or go in the gift shop and whether it's looking at the, the merchandise or looking for the Mickey Nebula in the ceiling, I try to find I try to find a reason to kind of visit at least. And I think it's one that, you know, barring uh you know, physical and health issues and be very mindful of what they, they those mm-hmm. potentially might be. Barring that, I think it's one of those that you have to look. I believe that you should try every attraction once, right? You can't say that you don't like it until yeah. you've done it because you might surprise yourself. I think there's there's a bun- number of people that sometimes have to almost be coerced or bribed to go on, and they come off and are like, "Oh, I loved it. That was great. Let's go Ryan Tower Tower again. I want to do Everest, or I'm afraid to do Space Mountain because it's it's dark inside." And then once you do it, uh, you know, and the fact that you can do the less intense first, it sort of lets you dip your your big toe yep. into the water of the attraction. Yeah, definitely. It's like it's like the preview version. You know, it's 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 testing, especially if you're coming in with somebody who's you know maybe a little bit older. Their health isn't quite what it wants. You know what it what it used to be. This gives them that chance to to one experience it, but two to to kind of for everyone to kind of go give it that that once over of okay, yeah, I've done this, and you know what, that's not for me. Or okay, I want to try more. Right. So let me ask you this. Oh, oh here it comes. <laughs> If they said to you, Ryan, you can have Mission Space or we're going to knock it down and rebuild Horizons exactly the way it was before, oh. the exact same technology, right? You can't upgrade the technology. You can't yeah. upgrade. It's, it's sort of just, boom, Horizons comes back. What do you do? Oh, I love Horizons so much. Um, I think without technical, like technology <laughs> upgrades, without giving it a, a new, you know, the fresh coat of paint, as it were. Um, I think Mission Space fits better into a one, you know, one pavilion, one theme. This is the next step for tomorrow. Um, I think some of the ideas in Horizons, one we've already gotten to, or two we've realized are not as feasible as maybe another idea. So I think if we're really looking at Future World as the next step for mankind, I think Mission Space is more in line with what we need to be seeing in Future World than... My beloved Horizons, and that hurt a lot to say. <laughs> I can I can feel the, right because you're conflicted, right? There there yeah. is the nostalgic, there's the romantic. You know, look, I, you know, you close your eyes and you hear the Horizons music in yep. the background, and you hear a little boy going, "Mom, Mom, we know what happens if Napoleon flies away." And that was the worst like little boy impression ever, <laughs> but you get the point. But you're right. You you say, well, you know, is it just sentimentality that? you know, makes me feel that way. And then you wonder, well, if Mission Space goes away, you know, this is probably some kids, this is the ride that he's growing up with or she's growing up with and maybe they would be sad and going, wait, you took out Mission Space for this? I'm playing devil's advocate, but I want to ask you, the listener, that question. You have a choice. Mission Space as it is or disappear and instantly bring back Horizons the way it was on opening day in 1983. Leave your answers. You can tweet me at Lou Mangiello, facebook.com slash WWRadio. You can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. 
Let me hear your passion in your voice about which one you want to keep or bring back. And then, as always, when you're done, go and visit MainStreetGazette.com and show Ryan P. Wilson Matua lots of love. You're also at Main Street Gazette on all of the social, and you got uh, lots and lots of good stuff um, on social and on the blog as well. Definitely, and make sure you're tagging Lube and noticing that he didn't answer the question himself. He just put me on the spot and then all of you on the spot. Dude, come on, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was going to go under the radar this time. Don't uh, don't throw me under the Land Rover there. You, you threw me under the Land the Rover, Rover, so fair, turnabout's fair play. I got to think about this one. Very cool, brother. Look, we have a lot more to get to. We've got more DSIs, more Wayback Machines, and uh, and probably some some dining in our in our future too. So, uh, thank you, brother. Always a good time. For our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details, not just in what you see and sometimes, like last week, in what you hear. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via email for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week was one of those where in the world have you heard this questions, and your quote was... I love going back in time and revisiting some of the extinct attractions of Walt Disney World. So do many of you, because again, hundreds of you entered, got this one correct, because you know that that was some of the adventures of Buzzy in Cranium Command at the old Wonders of Life Pavilion. Congratulations to all who got this correct. I randomly selected one winner who was playing for a prize package that included a WW Radio Magic Band cover, 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book, and my new audio tour of Tomorrowland. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Faith Thomas. So, Faith, congratulations. I'll get your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So I said that I liked the extinct attractions and history. We were talking about Horizons this week and Cranium Command and last week's question. Well, let's go back to Horizons again. We talked about it. It piqued my interest again in the attraction. So your question this week is simply to tell me what three destinations could you choose at the end of Horizons, right? You were able to choose your own flight path back to the future port. What were your three possible destinations or ways to get back there? You have until Sunday, September 27th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. Again, you're playing for the WDW Radio Magic Band cover, a copy of the 102 Ways book, and an audio tour of tomorrow, both of which are available at www.radio.com. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you again so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Your question of the week this week is to tell me, green or orange, or go grab a snack, which is your preferred way of experiencing Mission Space, the green side, the orange side, or just not going at all and eating while your friends or family go ride the attraction. Share your answer with me on Twitter. I'm at Lou Mangiello, Facebook.com slash WDW Radio. Leave your comments there. You can also call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. Let me know which you prefer. Just say hi or call from the attraction itself. Uh, quick thanks, as always, to some new members of the WDW Radio Nation and family, including Lori Cripple, Josh Wilner, Ed Alley, Thomas, Justin, Jay Clark, and Michelle Parry. Really do appreciate 
the support and the love and the friendship. And if you want to help the show and also receive exclusive rewards, including monthly scavenger hunts, uh, access to our private Facebook group, custom personalized Magic Band covers, logo gear, T-shirts, backpacks, care packages from Walt Disney World, exclusive video group calls, and lots more. You can visit www.radio.com slash support. Completely optional. Great way to support the show and get some cool stuff in return. And don't forget that a portion of your proceeds also go to the Dream Team Project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Again, to join the nation, visit www.radio.com slash support. And in addition to the podcast, which you can subscribe to over on iTunes, please join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for www.radiolive.com. I talk about this week's Walt Disney World news with you and answer your questions in the chat room live on video over at www.radiolive.com. I also do it via Periscope. So if you're not following me on Periscope, I am at Lou Mangiello there. I, I simulcast the live show every Wednesday on Periscope. Also do a lot of broadcasts from the parks. Thanks to everybody who joined me for Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party and our walk through the Magic Kingdom last week. Again, that's at Lou Mangiello. Also, I'm at Lou Mangiello on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. I'm really at Lou Mangiello on all the social. Also, please come by the website at www.radio.com. We have a great team of like 30 blog writers producing some really fun, interesting content on the blog. We have new videos. I just posted a new snack of the week, possibly my favorite one ever. Uh, over at the Golden Oak Outpost, we have a free newsletter, app, and lots more. If you have a question you want answered on the air, email me, lou at www.radio.com, or call the voicemail, 407-900-9391. And as much as I love connecting with you online and on Twitter and email, I think that nothing beats a handshake and the hug. That is why I do monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. Thanks to everybody who came to the food truck meetup at Downtown Disney Our next meet of the month is going to be Saturday, October 10th, over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I chose Saturday, October 10th at Disney's Hollywood Studios for a very specific reason. It is the last day that Mulch, Sweat, and Shears will be performing live on the streets of America. Don't know exactly what their schedule and timetable is yet, but they have been here for just about 11 years and want to sort of help them uh, say goodbye with all of you. So it will be Saturday, October 10th, in the afternoon, most likely. Don't know the exact time and exact location we'll meet up yet. Stay tuned to the events page at www.radio.com and Twitter and Facebook for more details as we get closer. Also, while you're on the events page, check out some other events that we'll be doing in Walt Disney World on the Disney Cruise Line and around the country. We have our ninth anniversary cruise on the Disney Fantasy. It's one of the Star Wars Days at Sea, February 6th through the 13th. Our New Orleans meetup and race February 26th through the 28th. Chicago, I'll be there the week of July 8th. And November 4th is the beginning of our e-ticket adventure in New York, from New York, on the Disney Magic, ending in Puerto Rico. And of course, we'll be at all of the different run Disney events. And if you want to be part of the running team, you can visit www.radio.com slash run. I'll also be doing other meetups not in Walt Disney World And on the road as I'm traveling the country, really the world, I'll be going to the Philippines next year. Uh, Speaking at conferences and schools, I'll also probably doing a meetup in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the end of October. Um, I'll tweet and post more about that. And if, listen, if there's any way that I can help you or your school or your business by coming to speak to you or maybe help you individually turn your passion into your profession, you have empowered me to do that. I want to give it back. If there's some way that I can help you with personal mentoring or group coaching to help you build your brand and build your business and do what you love and get from where you are to where you want to be, visit loumangello.com. Thanks, as always, to Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider. Really, because it's who I use, it's who I love. They have done an exceptional job of exceeding expectations and giving you the best possible prices and all available discounts at no cost to you. They're over at mousefantravel.com. Visit celebrationspress.com to get Celebrations Magazine delivered to your door or your digital device. Also, be sure and check out Swan and Dolphin Food and Wine Classic. My favorite event of the year is the Swan and Dolphin Food and Wine Classic, Friday and Saturday, October 30th and 31st. It is an amazing two days of unlimited, let that sink in, unlimited 
food, wine, beer. There's seminars, entertainment, celebrity chefs, lots more. Again, that's Swan and Dolphin Food and Wine Classic. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links and comments. It's so helpful over on Facebook. And please go to iTunes and rate and review the show there. Thanks to you. We have more than a thousand five-star reviews. Would love to keep them coming. I want to thank some recent reviewers, including Mick T. Burke, <laughs> Flying Fly Girl Court, Quirty, 3.14159265, uh, LT Nabet, and my friend Omar Zenholm from the $100 MBA show. You can visit wdwradio.com slash iTunes to find out exactly how to rate and review the show. And finally, and most importantly, I just want to say again, my sincerest thanks to you. Uh, I appreciate you so very much for taking the time to tune in. I know how valuable your time is and how little you have. And the fact that you choose to share and spend some with me means a great deal. And, And I appreciate you for that. And like I said, I want you to feel as I do, to to do what you love every day. So if there's something that you want to do, if there's a challenge, a goal, a dream, whatever it is, when you've got that that mountain that you need to climb, start climbing it. Waiting isn't going to make it any smaller. So start taking steps, however small they might be, and you will eventually get there. Have faith. And like Walt said, always keep moving forward. Thank you again so very much. Have a great week this week. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou, this is William Tollison calling from Seattle. I just got back from my Walt Disney World vacation. I'm the one who came up to you at World Showcase while you were live broadcasting and pointed at you and then shook your hand and thanked you there for all I did. I wanted to let you know that my girlfriend, Charity, there, who I had with me, that was her first trip to Walt Disney World, that she had an amazing time. And we have another convert on our side. Thank you for everything you do, Lou. It was amazing to meet you, and I really enjoyed the show. We'll be in contact. Hey, Lou, this is Austin from Seattle. Just wanted to supplement your top ten list from this past week. Really enjoyed it with the uh, common mistakes that visitors, uh, both old and new, uh, make at Disney. And I just wanted to uh, provide the suggestion that you don't really have to spend uh, big money on big-ticket items to necessarily create the memory. I I don't think that Bibbidi Boppity Boutique is necessarily uh, the way to go to create those everlasting memories unless you like pixie dust in your luggage for the next five years. Or other events, although they're great, I don't think they're necessary. And uh, I think really the best means to create those lasting memories is is really the spontaneous events like the uh, the character meet and greets that appear and suddenly there's nine characters and you're and and no line, or the uh, the moments that you have while pin trading with cast members and interacting with them. Uh, these are the memories that my daughters remember. And although we've done some great things, those are the ones that that seem to come up and and thankfully they're also the the least expensive. So I think that's something that a lot of travelers can really uh, benefit from thinking that they're going to have to go for broke to make this really a lasting, fun memory uh, for a lifetime. But sometimes it's those little things that are just as meaningful, if not more so. So there's my 11th uh, suggestion for your top 10 list. Look Look forward to hearing from more. Thanks. So when you hear the words, go for launch, you'll definitely want to hang out.